Thank you, Cindy. We are in Judges chapter 7 this morning. It's verses 1 through 15, but I just want to read the first two verses. I ask you to stand in God's honor and read these aloud. Early in the morning, Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Let's pray. Father, as Cindy has just shared with us in song, Lord, that you knew that from the beginning. It's not just a story. It's the gospel. It's the good news. And uh, that's why we're here. That's why we have some hope. Because without you, Lord, you just sink further down. <laughs> so I thank you, Father, for another opportunity to worship you. And I just ask that you continue to speak to our hearts, Lord. Thank you for ministering to us this far. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> yeah, I, I thought about it in that video too. Walk in prayer. Man, we all have some kind of story, and I have been alive long enough to almost never be shocked because I've heard just about everything I feel and yet I have got my own mess and the amazing thing is when Jesus died and on that cross and when he said it is finished he was talking about my junk and your junk and it was all dealt with at the cross we talked about in Sunday school it said you know, to me, it's so beautiful. The resurrection is proof that the cross worked. Jesus rose from the dead, and thus it means, guys, we have a tomorrow. This is not the end. And, you know, I love that in that video, Ground 40 video, where all these people, man, they are in that place of despair. And suddenly they hear the good news. And it all changes. And all these people that are impacted. I love the ending of that video too because it's not just the individuals that were changed, but their families too. As they all came together and, and saw that power of freedom that's in Christ. I love Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. This is from the New Living Version. It says, Christ made us free. And, and that's, you know, that's what we saw there. And as Cindy sang, it's the truth of everyone who has encountered the living Christ and the forgiveness that is available by the way of Jesus Christ. There is that new life. And, and so he tells us, Christ made us free. So praise be to God. And that is still available for anyone who needs hope, who needs it tomorrow. Christ will make you free. Freedom is available. Liberty in Christ is available to all of us. But the verse goes on. It says, Christ made us free, and it says, stay that way. 
Because here's what happens to us. We hear the good news, we receive the good news, and then something happens and we go on living as if we never heard the good news. Paul, as he's speaking to the church at Galatia, and he speaks to all of us, he says, guys, Christ made you free. Stay that way. And here's how the verse ends. It says, do not get chained all over again in the law and its kind of religious worship. Man, we don't just follow a, a bunch of rules and, and rituals and empty habits. We follow a living Christ. Stay free. That, that, and, and we get so bogged down with the troubles that are around us that we forget about the one who is above us. In, in ancient days when they would draw up maps, they didn't know the land mass of the whole world. So they would draw the map according to what they did know. But on the edges of the map, uh, you would find these words. Beyond here, there be dragons. And we could say, in reference to the series, beyond here, there be giants that are blocking our way to an intimate walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see here in this passage of Scripture, we meet a guy who seems to be anything but a mighty warrior, and yet that is how the angel of the Lord refers to him as mighty warrior. Matter of fact, we want to see God's uh, amazing um, victory strategy that certainly we don't find in a lot of uh, popular books on, on how to grow uh, churches and how to grow in our faith, but this is God's strategy. So turn me in the scriptures uh, in Judges chapter 7. We come to verse 3, <laughs> and we read, we read these words. Announce now to the people, Gideon, uh, here's, my, here's my command. Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. Now, you, you got to remember here, we find out that the Israelite army was 32,000 men. The Midianite army was 135,000 men. So they started out, they were outnumbered four to one. And what's God's strategy? Let's get rid of two-thirds of our guys. We've got too many. Well, this just sounds crazy. And we've got to remember that there have always been more unbelievers than believers, more faithless people than people of faith, but it's not about the numbers of the people of faith. It's about the one we have the faith in that makes all of the difference. So I want to look at some truths that we find in the text here. First is the growth of faith is gradual. Look at uh, verse 7. It says, Early in the morning, Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Gideon was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. So what do we discover where he is? When you're threshing wheat, you want to be in a place that's open. Where so when you throw the threshed wheat in the air, the chaff will blow away and the good stuff will fall down and you'll have your wheat. But that's not where Gideon was. 
He was in a place with a wine press, in a place where there wasn't that breeze, that crossway of wind. Why? Because he was afraid. He was afraid of this vast army. And we have a guy, he doesn't start out as this sparkling personality to follow. Quite honestly, uh, we find out that uh, he grew up in a family that was worshiping Baal. Thus that name, Jerob Baal. Uh, and that was the name that he was given by his dad and his family as they were not following God. So we discover that one of the first things that God tells him to do is to tear down the idols in your backyard at home. Got to get rid of those idols. Did he? So we have a guy who in chapter 6, angel of the Lord says, uh, hey there, mighty warrior, and he's shaking in fear. And, and so then he steps out, and he's still going in fear, even though he goes in obedience, and he tears down those idols in the backyard. As a matter of fact, in chapter 6, verse 34, we read, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. But you know what? Even though the Spirit of the Lord was on him, that boy was still scared. He was still afraid. And what does that tell us? Man, we are all a, bunch, a weak bunch, <laughs> a frail group. And although he had the Spirit of the Lord on him, Although the angel of the Lord had come to him and pronounced not who he felt like, but who he would become. And praise be to God, that is the way he sees us. Not as we are, but as we will be. And man, that's a blessing to think about that. We get down on ourselves. Just remember, it is not who you now presently appear to be. It is who you will be. That is the power of God that works in our lives. Listen to Psalm 144 verse 1. Praise be to the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. And yet what did this mighty warrior do? He said, I need a sign. I need a sign. I need to know you're here, God. So he says, okay. He says, well, here, here's what I want you to do, Lord. He puts his fleece out there. He says, first thing I want you to do, get the fleece wet, all the rest of the ground be dry as a bone. So that's what happened. God does it. He, he says, all right, I'll, I'll humor you, Gideon. So then he says, well, that's not enough. This time, I want the fleece to be dry, and I want the ground to be wet. So God could have said, mm, but he didn't do that. He went ahead, and he fulfilled what Gideon wanted to try to, to, try to strengthen him and to encourage him and to let him know he's still there. So this idea of growing in our faith it's gradual. It doesn't happen immediately. You don't, you don't immediately become super Christian and you know, have it all together and, and all of that stuff. It is a walk that continues until we are in His very presence. Sometimes we do good. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we blow it. Sometimes we wander away. And, and God in His mercy will draw us back. It, it, it just is not something that happens immediately. It's a work that God continues to do upon us and continues to do in us. Remember the guy that, that came to Jesus and he was broken hearted because of his child. His child was dying and, and he came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, All things are possible if you believe. And then you know what he said? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
Man, that's just so where we are so often. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. We have Jesus in our corner. We have Jesus who is praying with us. We have Jesus who is the one for us. We have these struggles to build our spiritual muscles. And it's not to let God know what's going on. It's to let us know what is going on. That he can be trusted. But it is a gradual process, this faith walk. Second thing we learn here as we look at the passage is God's math is unusual. We start out four to one odds and... Verse 2, we come down and we see that he gets rid of two-thirds of the people. And, and, you know, I'm wondering if Gideon might have thought, God, did you hear me correctly? God, do you need glasses? Can you see the situation clearly? Because this doesn't make any sense to me. How easy it is for us to get hung up on what we have and not see who we have. I'm not a strong enough Christian to make a difference. Or my church is just, well, there's just a few of us. What can we do? And if we're not careful, we get hung up on what we lack instead of God, who is there with us. Listen to this quote from Gary Ingrid. You cannot be too small for God to use, but you can be too big. That is why when you look around, you will see God working in a powerful way in the lives of some very weak people. So if you feel weak, you might be in just the position where God's ready to use you (laughs) to do something beautiful and unexpected because God is big enough. One of my favorite stories, and and David loves this story too, he talks about a lot, is the story of Elisha. And they're surrounded by this army, and it looks pretty bleak. And uh, the servant of Elisha's, man, he's, he's just overwhelmed. Oh, man, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And, and then Elisha's is like, Lord, open his eyes so he can see who's here, you know. And when he opens his eyes, the army of the Lord is surrounding this army that surrounded them. And, and so he could just need his eyes open so that he could really see. God's numbers, they're weird to us, but they're proof that God's enough. He's big enough. Uh, in Deuteronomy 32, 28 through 31, uh, as you go to that text, he uses some interesting math in there as he talks about battles that will happen. And there's a verse in there that says, How can one chase a thousand... Or two, chase 10,000 troops. One commentator had done the math and figured out, well, according to that math, God only needed 27 people to defeat the Midianite army. And, of course, we know God didn't need any of them (laughs) to truly, fully defeat them. God's math is if you have God, you have it all. All right, third, people's fear is transmissible. Um, In verse 3 that we just looked at, from 32,000 to 
10,000. Two-thirds bailed out. There's an interesting section in Deuteronomy 20. I want to read it to you. Uh, this is from Deuteronomy 20. It says, What man who built a new house should go to war? So he's giving some instances where um, you don't have to go to war. The first one is a new house. Hey, got a new house. want you to be able to enjoy it a little bit. Second one, what a man who has planted a vineyard and not eaten of it. Well, this is pretty interesting. Got a good garden. God says, well, we want you to be able to eat from the fruit of that garden. The third one, what man is there who is betrothed to a woman and has not married her? In other words, I want you to be able to go on a honeymoon and spend some time with your sweetie before you end up in war. And then the last one, what man is there who is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go home, lest he make others fearful. You see, that's what happened here. He said, any of you guys afraid? And God's point in this is this is not the attitude to go into battle. This is battle. Everybody's probably afraid. And so two-thirds of them take out. We see what happens when there are frantic hearts like in a soccer stadium around the world and, and people are trampled to death as they head out. When there's a frenzy in a mass crowd, there is terrible things that occur. God wants us to not live in fear, but to live in faith. Listen to a couple of uh, quotes here. This is John Wesley. Give me 100 men who fear nothing but sin and love nothing but God, and I shake the gates of hell. Here's another good one. G. Campbell Morgan. The trouble today is that the fearful and trembling man insists upon remaining in the army. A decrease that sifts the ranks of the church of men who fear and tremble is a great, a gracious and glorious gain. We get so overwhelmed. We need to come back to the cross. We need to come back to the resurrection. We need to come back to the hope that has been given to us freely. We need to remember we have been set free. Christ has made us free. and We need to stay that way in the freedom that Christ provides. Verse 4, Lord said, there's still two men. What, two-thirds of the army left, Lord? <laughs> he says, okay, take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. Can you imagine a military commander, and God just keeps taking away the troops? That's, that's the state that Gideon finds himself. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So he goes with the 10,000 troops. And you guys know the story. He ends up with 300 left to face this vast army with 300 soldiers. And it's interesting as you notice how he separates the soldiers. He says uh, in here, uh, it says, separate those, this is verse 5. Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men left their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. 
the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that left, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Um, so what's the difference? Well, one guy had brought out that those who laid flat and lapped the water with their tongue laying flat down the ground, all they saw was the water. But the guys that were kneeled down, cupping with their hands, were alert and ready to go into battle. It reminds me of 1 Peter 5, 8, where we are commanded to stay sober and to stay alert because our enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we are called to remain alert. All right, next one here. Enemy's words, and enemy's words may be helpful. Uh, verse 9. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. So our brave, mighty warrior, he's still shaking. He's still fearful. He wants to go in faith, but he's, he's fighting the fear. Man, that's just so like, like we are. And, and this, is, this is where Gideon is. So, so he heads down at night, sneaks down, um, you know, secret spy stuff. As he goes into the camp and he happens to hear news that he did not expect to hear when he arrived down there with his servants. Um, so you come down to verse 12. It says, The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. So what a picture, man. They're everywhere. They're, they're tucked away in a place where they're not seen, where they can hear. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. So here, poor old mighty warrior Gideon, who had to have signs and all that stuff, he's taken into the enemy camp and he hears with his own ears the enemy that vastly outnumbers them. It looks like it is going to be impossible for him to win this battle. And what does he hear? This is a sign from God that our enemies, the Israelites, the people of the Lord God, are going to win. And so, man, you talk about a change in spirit and heart and attitude. He heads back ready to proclaim the good news to the 300. You know, we need to really listen. Sometimes we miss so much because we're so ready to talk that we don't listen to what God is doing. Sometimes God wants to work through us, but we have to first listen to what is being said so that we can respond 
sometimes, and I've been so guilty of this, I already have my mind made up what I want to say. I don't really care what you're going to say because I have something I want to say. But how can I know what I need to say if I don't know what you've got to say? So what I need to do is shut up and listen to what you have to say so that God can let me hear and speak what I need to say. That, that, that's so critical. I remember one time, uh, this is a long time ago, Cindy and I were serving in Long Island. It was really kind of a rescue mission type of ministry. And uh, anyway, I was just, I went out there where there were a bunch of kids. I was going to play basketball and meet some different people out there. So I got out there and I met these people, started talking to them. We had a great time. All of a sudden, the guy says to me, he says, are you a Christian? You know, it's like, look, I may not be the most powerful witness. I know that. But sometimes it's just really hard to miss an opportunity when someone says, are you a Christian? And so I said, well, yeah. So I talked to him a little bit, and we uh, set an appointment to meet a couple of days later uh, where he was going to bring uh, his wife and someone else come, and we were going to talk. I was all excited, so Cindy and I went out there, and they didn't show up, but another lady showed up who had heard them talking, and Cindy was able to talk to her, and she came to Christ. Man, all this happened just because I was able to shut up long enough to hear somebody say, are you a Christian? And then God was able to work, and did he work the way I thought he was going to work? No way. I didn't see any of that coming. But you know what? It's not what I see. It's about me stopping in faith and getting my eyes right and my heart right and my ears right so that I don't know what to do. See? And, and this was where Gideon was. This was the place he found himself in a position to be used by God, but he had to listen. He had to be humble. He, he had to be ready to be used. In God's presence. And that leads us to the last point here. Man, worship is essential when being overwhelmed, facing overwhelming odds. Look at uh, verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hand. You see, long before Gideon was a warrior, he was a worshiper. And his heart was fired up and he was ready to go into battle because he was a worshiper again. He had been renewed with that passion for the living God. He had become discouraged. As Cindy said earlier, he'd gone through this time of like, man, we're outnumbered, and does God even know we're here, and, and what's going to happen next, and, and am I going to survive, and what kind of future am I going to have, and all of that stuff. And now he has heard in a way he did not anticipate that God was going to bring victory, and he had to run back home and tell everybody, God is alive. God is to be worshipped. 
My God reigns. He is still on the throne. And boys, let's go get him. That's where he found himself. <laughs> to be a conqueror is to be, once the battle is over, to conquer. But hey, to be a worshiper, to conquer in Christ, is to rejoice before the battle starts. Because you're able to see who's doing the fighting. My God. Abraham Lincoln, in the worst part of the Civil War, said, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction I had nowhere else to go. And the truth is, we don't ever really have anywhere else to go but to our God who is able to handle us. John Knox uh, was a fiery preacher in his day. And uh, he was in trouble half the time and in good standing the other half. But he had this boldness because he had an awareness of God. And the queen, the queen of Scots, Oh, she kind of just put up <laughs> with John Knox's bold preaching that sometimes would fall against her. And uh, the story goes that John Knox approached her face to face and said, Queen Mary of Scots, your majesty, you need to repent of your sin and come to Christ. I, I love this. As the days went on and as... as John Knox continued just to be faithful in his call to preach. The queen said this, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than I fear all the armies of Europe. <laughs> because she saw this guy. And the Midianites should have feared the prayers of this stumbling, bumbling, fearful guy named Gideon because he was zeroed on the hope that God provides. When you feel tempted to fall apart, remember that God has covered you, that God is with you, that there is nothing that can pull you apart from Him. You're safe there. I love the way Romans 8 closes, you know, where the apostle writes, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing can separate us. So when you look on the map of your life and you come to where you can't see and, and all you see is Beyond here, there be dragons. Or beyond here, there be giants. Just remember that beyond here, there be God. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we may be a weak bunch, but we're your bunch, Lord. Work in us, Lord. Thank you for making us free. Empower us to stay that way. To live in that freedom Christ provides and to love as Christ has loved us. And, and Father, as we face these overwhelming odds, this giant, help us remember, Lord, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That, as 1 John 5, 4 says, that this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. That 
we are victors because of you. And, and Father, as, as we face what's outside of this building, <laughs> uh, Lord, we're grateful you're there. And uh, thank you we can be together and worship. Father, just continue to speak and may we just respond in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.